Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Pream, Eric Scopel with me as always. A special Tuesday edition. We've pulled our Monday show and moved it to Tuesday. So you subscribers out there to the podcast get an extra podcast this week. Uh, thank Brady Breeze, thank Diomede Lenore and the Oregon football program with their big news of the week for the extra pod. Uh, lots to discuss. We've got college football why I personally think Oregon's playoff chances continue to get better without them having to play a game, and they might be one of the favorites by the time they start playing. We're also going to discuss more Justin Herbert magic from week four in the NFL. First, I want to remind you guys, you can subscribe to DuckTerritory.com for as low as $1 for your first month. $1 for your first month gets you inside access, inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion Read all the content across the 24-7 Sports Network. And if you want to go big, you could sign up today for an annual membership, $75.18, build one time. Saves you over $36 when you compare it to the monthly rate. Huge savings there as well. So, Eric, uh, college football continues to be bonkers. I think this is what's going to make the year so awesome is that every year, every week it feels like we're going to see some some big names lose because there are no cream puffs. There are no cupcake games. There are no buy games. And the last few weeks uh, we've seen that. And the narrative going into week five of the college football season felt like we, we, you and I both watched big noon kickoff on Fox and ESPN's game day. We've tracked a lot of the social media from the national reporters and the narrative going into the weekend was even though the Pac-12 has just released their schedule, even though Oregon's schedule is favorable for them to go 7-0 and and be undefeated on the day that the college football playoff releases their final rankings, the league is probably still going to be looking out inside of in the playoff football field. And I look at that and think, you know what? Every week we, we – that, that narrative is going to get weaker and weaker because we're seeing more and more teams get knocked off. This past weekend, seven top 25 teams lost a game. Texas lost. They were a top 10 team. Oklahoma lost for the second time. They were 18th in the country at the time. They are now out of the, the top 25, and they are essentially out of the college football playoff discussion because – it's going to take a lot of losses for a two-loss team to get into the college football playoffs. Certainly, you could sell me on one loss, but two at this point, very difficult. And that basically just neuters the Big 12 because uh, everybody else is, is not the same standard as Texas and as Oklahoma. I think a big one, a sneaky one that people aren't talking about as well was that UCF, who had the potential of going undefeated, and maybe this, if there was going to be a year that they get into the playoff, this may have been it, and they lost as well. I think Oregon might debut as the only undefeated team left. Because like, <laughs> I guess that's not fair. Ohio State plays one week before, and I don't think they're, gonna, they're probably not going to lose many games at all. Probably not their first game. I think they play Nebraska, so that's probably pretty favorable. But, but like, it, the way this is going, and you're right, the par- I think the parody of this has been super intriguing and fun to watch. Like, think about – how last week we were talking about how like Mike Leach was just going to run rough shot through the, you know, the SEC after they, you know, KJ Costello throws up these record breaking numbers and then they go out and look terrible the next week. I mean, I mean, this is just the way this stuff goes, I think. And 
Um, I think, and you're right, no cream puffs. No puff, like, is, isn't this fun? Like, don't, yes. don't we enjoy watching it this way when we're not watching it with, through the lens entirely of like, you got to go undefeated, blah, 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 blah. You know, like, oh, you can't lose a game. Instead, it's just like, let's watch all the best teams duke it out. And at the end of the season, I mean, this is what it's like in all other sports. Yeah. Like, like you're not held to the same – like, the college football is really the only sport where you're held to this ludicrous, con, you know, concept of, like, you have to lose no games all season. You can't lose a game all season. Like, high school football, teams are typically losing a game or two. The NFL, nobody goes 16-0, and 0, you know? College basketball, NBA, and Major League Baseball, of course you're not expected to, to run a perfect season. There's no margin for error in college football, and I think that's still the case for Oregon now. But, like, this to me is the argument of, like, let's just let's make sure you don't really have any cupcake games. It's, it's a lot more fun when you see this type of thing going on. And like I said, I, I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how Oregon and the rest of the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, for that matter, how they're perceived when they enter the, enter the conversation here. Um, and, and now, shoot, like about a month for Oregon and about three weeks for the, Pac, for the Big Ten. Um, they are going to enter an equation where there could be a lot of one-loss teams in the top ten. A lot of maybe some two-loss teams hovering around that area. Um, I don't know exactly, but like there's been so much beating up of each other where the narrative of like, oh, I don't know if the Pac-12 is going to be good enough. It's really, I think it's going to test the committee. Um, if, if Oregon truly can go 7-0, and like it, is it going to come down to like a one or maybe even like a two-loss team from the ACC or the SEC? Like if we think the Big 12 is like completely out of this thing, I think Matt used a good word and that they're neutered right now. I think that feels appropriate. All their big brands are out. Like Oklahoma State's their only team in the top 10 and they're at number 10 and they're unbeaten and I'm pretty sure Oklahoma will have a, a say in how that one plays out but like is this going to come down to like whether or not the committee is going to put an undefeated Oregon in there over a probably like a two loss Georgia or something like that like what is this going to come down to and how are they really going to look at this because I do think it's going to be wild it's going to be the, the craziest selection process ever for sure for a variety of reasons but I think you're going to be looking at Oregon possibly if they do run the table here of like they might they might not even be really much of a, of a discussion against it unless you really want to go into like we think the SEC is just better and a two loss SEC team is going to get in. Seth Waller of ESPN's analytics department he tweeted out over the weekend and this is what he said: with its schedule now released, the Pac-12 is debuting two teams on the All-State playoff predictors list of the top ten most likely teams to reach the playoff. Oregon is the sixth most likely team to get in with a 31% chance. USC is the 10th most likely to get in with a 13% chance. Ohio State leads all teams with a 69% chance of getting in to the college football playoff. And I look at this, Eric, and I agree with that. Like, I, like Oregon's got a decent chance. I mean, look at – and you're right about this is fun. This is, this is how it should be. I mean, week six of the college football slate, Number four, Florida at number 21, Texas A&M. A&M has to win this game or they're basically out of the college football playoff because they have a loss already. They'd be one and two in SEC play. Number four, Florida is two and oh. They're undefeated. They've looked tremendous in their first two weeks. Uh, Kyle Trask looks like a Heisman candidate. Kyle Pitts is maybe the best tight end in the country. 12 catches, six touchdowns, 227 yards. That's going to be a huge game. 9 a.m. kickoff Pacific time. Number eight, number 19, Virginia Tech goes on the road to number eight, North Carolina. We're going to get a good, good feel for how good North Carolina, how good Virginia Tech is. 
Uh, that's another 9 a.m. game. The Red River Shootout is a 9 a.m. game uh, on Fox, Pacific time-wise, and it, it's not even like close to being a marquee game uh, this week when typically every week it is because at this point, these two teams have probably played you know one tough team up to this point, and they're, they're three or four and zero, oh, and they really haven't played anybody, and, and one of them loses. But now we kind of have a better idea where they are. Um, Another big game, another top 15 matchup, Tennessee 2-0, number 14 in the country, at number three, Georgia, who's also 2-0, 12-30 kickoff on CBS. Uh, you can watch that on CBS All Access. If you have that, you get that free with your membership to duckterritory.com, so subscribe today. Uh, you also have Arkansas, who just upset Mississippi State. They go to number 13, Auburn. Alabama goes on the road to 1-1 one one Ole Miss. You have a big game in the ACC of number seven Miami uh, against number one Clemson. That game's in Clemson, Death Valley. Uh, you also have uh, LSU playing a game. I mean, there's just there's just good games everywhere. And again, this is the way it should be, right? Like, isn't this a lot? I think I find this to be a lot more fun. And again, this is without two of the major conferences not even playing. Like the Big Ten, the Pac-12 would assuredly have some kick-ass matchups this weekend too if they were playing right now. So I, I think it's going to be some of the most compelling college football weekends once this stuff really gets going with the Pac-12 and Big Ten playing. And once you start getting into the heart of those schedules, like it's going to be, you know, again, it's going to be every single weekend. There's going to be six to eight games possibly with like real, real college football uh, playoff, uh, you know, impacts. You know, these are going to be massive games. and It's going to be super fun. Hopefully Oregon is able to, to battle and, and not slip up early, but it's going to be, I think really fun if Oregon's in the middle of that, you know, and, and maybe they're four and zero, and again, they're looking against teams that are five and two and six and one or wherever they're at. Maybe they're a little bit more advanced in the schedule. They probably have to be at this point, but it, it's going to be really fascinating to see how all this plays out. And again, I think it's going to make for, and what we're seeing already, like in the pro game in terms of the NFL of how competitive those games have been and how wild those games have gone it's going to make for some really, really fun college football weekends. I, I, I'm really excited, especially when the Pac-12 and Big Ten enter the discussion fully of like, man, there's going to be so many ramifications in almost every game, every weekend. And that's going to make for, again, just like awesome college football weekends. Now, we've been blessed with an opportunity to watch a lot of college football across the country this week and the last couple of weeks because Oregon and the Pac-12, they won't start for about a, another month now. Uh, we've also been paying attention to what's going on in the NFL. And for the third straight week, Justin Herbert is, is just putting up impressive numbers. Uh, this time again, unfortunately for him, it's in a loss. They're not winning. That's, and, and you could argue that's a good thing or a bad thing. Um, uh, you know, the, the more games you lose, the better draft position you're going to get. And at this point, you're probably not a Super Bowl contender anyway. So, what, what's you know you want to make the playoffs sure but at the same time in a division where you have to play the Chiefs in the same division with the Raiders uh, it, it, is it realistic that you're going to make the college it, college football playoff is it really realistic that you're going to make the wild card I don't think so so honestly it's it's tough to get through but from a Chargers perspective in my eyes at least you want to be competitive in every single game and yet lose that way your draft position is as good as possible, and yet you look at yourself and say, look, a couple changes here and there, and we're in the playoffs. You agree this is Justin Herbert's best start yet? Yes. 
I mean, I, unbelievably <laughs> really good. <laughs> Aside from the late interception, which was very costly, and, yes. um, and, and, and they legitimately have a chance to win probably if he doesn't make that play. Um, you know, they, they were right in the heart of this thing. They, they, were ahead, they were ahead 31 to, I think, 24 um, entering the fourth quarter. Yep. And, then, and then Tom Brady makes some great plays. And, again, I think one of the fun parts about this was this was Tom Brady against Justin Herbert. Like, I mean, this is one of those pinch yourself moments of like, and they're going toe to toe for three and a half quarters, basically. Um, like, and like Herbert belonged, like he looked like he belonged. He was 20 for 25 for 290 yards, three touchdowns. He did have that interception. Um, his QB rating was better than Tom Brady, by the way, in a game where Brady throws for 370 yards and five touchdowns. <laughs> like let that sink in for a second. He had a perfect <laughs> quarterback rating for three quarters. You know, and, and he, he made – two of the best throws you'll objectively see all day, those two long touchdown passes. I mean, the first one for, I think it was, what, 72 yards. Yeah. Like, you don't throw that much better than that. And then the next one was basically off his back foot. He didn't throw it quite as far in the air. I mean, the first one was probably literally 65 yards in the air. Um, it was to, like, the five-yard line, and it was a touchdown. Um, and the, the second one to Tyron Johnson – or, sorry, the first one was to Tyron Johnson. Second one – no, second one was to, to – no, Jalen Guyton was the second one. Sorry, I'm getting all this mixed up. But the Guyton one was off his back foot feeling pressure, and he just put the touch on it. Like, these were just objectively awesome throws. You're seeing him – like, you're seeing all of the, the good Justin Herbert come out. And a little bit of the bad, as you'd expect. He's a young quarterback. But, like, how fun is it that we get to sit down on a Sunday and, and you talk about how fun these Saturdays are, but sit down on a Sunday and see Justin Herbert head-to-head against Tom Brady um, in a game that was really freaking competitive and fun. I, I, I just don't think I – it's – it's not anything we were expecting coming into the season because we didn't know Justin would be playing this early. And it's, to me, it's certainly not even what I expected if he was playing in these games. I didn't think he'd be quite this good. I've said that three weeks in a row. I think he's now he – he had a chance to become – he was 10 yards short from being the first quarterback in NFL history to open his, uh, his NFL career with three straight starts with over 300 yards passing. He finished at 290. Um, like, he's been objectively awesome, and I don't think anybody can really say anything against that. He's been really, really good. Anthony Lynn was asked uh, about kind of his his thoughts on the quarterback position and where he felt like uh, things could maybe go for Tyrod Taylor or uh, Justin Herbert. And he said he can't answer who will be starting at quarterback. Mind is still on the game with the Chargers. And that's a little bit different than what it was the last two weeks. Yep. It, it, last two weeks, it was Tyrod Taylor is still our quarterback. Justin Herbert was a backup for a reason. And the, the, the tenor of his communication is changing. And I, and I look at this in the first three weeks of watching Justin Herbert as a starter, and you're seeing 931 passing yards, 17th best in the NFL. So he's already, you know, middle of the pack without playing one. He's, he's got one fewer game under his belt. He does have uh, five, just five touchdown passes in three games. He has three interceptions, so he's thrown a pick in every single game. It's tied for 17th, though. It's not, it's not the worst. It's not the best number. His QBR rating is 73, which is 13th best in the NFL. Um, pretty darn impressive there. Uh, he's, he's completing, what is it, 72% of his passes, Ooh. which is just mind-boggling. Uh, he's got a, He's, you know, 8.7 yards per attempt. 
I look at this and think after that game against the Buccaneers in which Austin Eckler got hurt and they had no run game. Herbert led the team in rushing yards. I don't know if you realize that or not. Uh, (laughs) But with no rushing attack, he, he completes 20 of 25 passes against that team, against that type of a pass rush. I mean, the Bucs, Namagan Sue, uh, Vea Vea up front, like J- uh, I think they have Jason Pierre Paul too uh, on their team. I mean, they are loaded up front. Their defensive line is very good. And the Chargers were without two of their starters that they signed in the offseason to shore up their offensive line issues. They were without both of those guys because of injuries. And so Herbert has backups up front in the offensive line facing a good defensive line with an elite pass rush. You have no run game and he still produces this. I mean, if it hasn't been obvious before it is now Justin Herbert's the starting quarterback moving forward for the chargers. And we, before the season, we talked a little fantasy football and we said that there's really no reason to have anybody. I, if you needed a quarterback in fantasy football, Justin Herbert's a really good option. He was worth like, I think 25, 26 fantasy points in a standard ESPN scoring league this last week. Um, I don't know where that ranks. I'd have to pull it up. It's probably one of the eight to 12 best though. I mean, he's like, he's definitely serviceable. Um, And again, if he's going to be the starter in this offense with the weapons he has around him, and he's going to throw for probably 300 yards, most games. And if he can get these turnovers sorted out a little bit, and some of that will depend upon the defense he faces. And we should note, I think that Tampa Bay was leading the NFL in forced turnovers coming in, or they were up there at least Um, like, he's going to have a shot to be really good as a actual, you know, as a fancy quarterback, as well as like a, tr- a traditional, like if you're just looking at it from somebody watching a game, which at this point is probably fewer people than you'd think. I think a lot of people are playing fantasy, but like if you're a fantasy guy, like Justin Herbert's a respectable guy to go, like, to go grab, I think. And if you're an Oregon fan, which most of you listening, I assume are like, how fun is that to double dip and, and have maybe your fantasy quarterback also be Justin Herbert. Now Herbert wasn't the only duck that had a, another impressive Sunday performance week four in the NFL. Um, I will be honest. A lot of my attention was on Herbert and then tracking down some other stuff from an Oregon team perspective. So my eye wasn't all on the NFL in the afternoon slate, but I did see Terrence Mitchell had a really good game and a couple other ducks as well. Yeah. Let me run through six guys here who played defense. Mostly there's one offensive, other offensive player here. You're right. Terrence Mitchell had, a team high 12 tackles in the game where the Browns beat the Dallas Cowboys 49, 38 Mitchell probably gets overlooked at times just because he's been in the NFL for, for, well, this is, I think his seventh season. Um, He's an experienced corner. I think people forget that like, he's like still a very productive. He's started, I think this is his fourth straight season as a starting corner in the NFL. Um, 12 tackles today is pretty tremendous. We should note part of that's the fact that, there were 41 pass receptions for Dallas because they threw the ball 60 times. Um, but still, really impressive for Terrence Mitchell. Um, another defensive player for Oregon that I thought has continued to play very well is Ugo Amadi. Um, they beat the Miami Dolphins 31-23. Um, in past weeks, we've seen, I think, Ugo be close to the team lead in tackles. Wasn't quite there this week, but still made three tackles, had a couple pass deflections. Um, continues to just be very active in that defense. And again, we mentioned the big tackle numbers for Terrence Mitchell. Part of that is Miami didn't throw the ball anywhere near as much as Dallas did, but he continues to be a starter on a very good defense. We should note, I think Seattle is one of the few teams that are 4-0 right now. 
So he's playing starting minutes on one of the best teams in the NFL and performing, I think, at a high level where if you watch their games, you listen, the, the conversations around Ugo Amadi are, are almost always very positive in terms of how um, the broadcasters discuss him, which to me is clearly a representation also of how like Pete Carroll and, and that defensive staff sees him too. Um, so he played another nice outing from him. Um, and then another cornerback here, and it's interesting how many cornerbacks Oregon has, like that's primarily their defensive players. Troy Hill here for the Los Angeles Rams, second on the team in tackles with six, has a tackle for loss and two pass deflections, continues to have another strong season. They win their game over the Giants 17-9. to They're now 3-1, and one, another really high-quality um, NFL team, and he's a starter for it, one of their main defensive backs. Um, and then the 49ers lose their – losing a kind of a bizarre game. Um, I was listening to this on the radio while I was driving, um, but just a weird one. Um, Eric Armstead is second on the team with five tackles. He has half a sack, one and a half tackles for loss, and get this, six quarterback hits. Um, that is a massive number. Um, for And put that into perspective, nobody else in the 49ers had more than one. So six is a huge number there. Uh, Deion, Deion Jordan also plays. He makes a tackle. Um, a pretty crucial tackle, I think, to get Carson Wentz down uh, late in that game. They end up losing, but two former Oregon uh, defensive linemen or, or front seven guys that are performing well. And then the final one here is the other offensive player, and he's not playing a ton, but Royce Freeman for the Denver Broncos. They win their first game, get off the schneid there. He has three carries for six yards, also um, has two catches for six. So he's not producing like crazy stats, but he is in the game playing meaningful snaps for a team that's at least trying to win football games. So I think that's pretty much the recap of the Oregon guys in the NFL this week. And again, defensively, there are some guys from Oregon that are playing. Oh, I forgot DeForest Buckner. Well, that's a mistake on my part. I'll have to go pull those stats up here in a second. But like Oregon guys have continued to play and perform at a very high level um, in, in the NFL. And let's see, yeah, I've just got, I pulled up the Indianapolis Colts, who, by the way, are a surprising and kind of a quiet three and one. They beat the Chicago Bears 1911 in what was just like a truly not fun game to watch for <laughs> someone who tried to sit through it. Uh, Buckner had three tackles, a pass deflection, and also three quarterback hits. So um, another impactful game from another Oregon defensive player. You missed the most important update. Oh, no. It's no statistical bearing, but we need this to happen again so we can get a statistical bearing uh, or at least a statistical representation on, on the box score. Shane Lemieux got in oh. the game against the LA uh, Rams this past weekend in LA. He played on offense, but he did not line up at guard or center. <laughs> oh no. Did they run like a tackle eligible? What did they do? They put him at fullback. <laughs> I didn't see any of this. I missed this. <laughs> I, uh, I retweeted it. Bobby oh. Skinner. Uh, if you just search Bobby Skinner underscore or just go to my Twitter account, he uh, posted a screenshot of it. First quarter, 619 to go. First and 10. Giants have the ball, which looks like at like the 25. And he is lined up directly right behind Daniel Jones in the oh, I yeah. formation as Love a fullback. Uh, we need to see more of this. We need to see more <laughs> Shane Lemieux on the field. We need to see Shane Lemieux get a carry at the goal line. The, the other thing that was slightly interesting that I don't think is going to have too much for bearings is Derek Carr did leave the end of their game kind of hurt. And oh, I'm I sort of, and I'm, I, Well, and I don't know how the severity, I haven't checked. I was just watching the game and he noticeably lift, limped off after their last possession. 
I don't know where Marcus Mariota's rehab is, but if Derek Carr is out for an extended period of time, I do wonder if, if we'll see some Mariota here in the coming weeks. The other quarterback, by the way, is Nate Peterman, who I, uh, if you go look at his stats, objectively might be like the worst NFL starting quarterback ever. So uh, Mariota has a decent shot if, if Derek Carr does miss time. And again, I'm possibly speaking at a term by even suggesting it's possible, but I, I did see um, Derek Carr limp off that, that game and, and didn't play the end of it. So Now, kind of uh, Peterman was dressed. Mariota was not dressed. I did look for that um, last week, I guess on, on Sunday, uh, in that game. So if you're curious where things are, I mean, Mariota did just come off the IR, though. So, I mean, it, did, it does make sense for them not to dress, you know, immediately right away. But maybe he works himself back this week to get dressed in case something happens to Carr. Um, but nonetheless, uh, another fun and exciting NFL standpoint. I, mean, I don't know. Is, is it just me, Eric? But does this year just feel more interesting from an Oregon Duck perspective in the NFL? And maybe that's just because of Herbert. Herbert overshadows everything and just you know, amplifies everything five times more. But it feels like there's bigger names, more impact from Oregon alums inside the NFL. It's tough because I was just thinking that in the past, you've been able to, tr- to track a little bit more offensive guys. Like LeGarrette Blunt and Jonathan Stewart are two players who recently hung up their cleats after long careers. Um, but I did think just running through all those defensive stats, I was sort of taken aback at like, Oregon has like five to seven defensive players who we probably don't spend that much time talking about who are like legitimately like very, very serviceable to, very, to, to good to, to great defensive players in the NFL. Um, and that maybe gets overlooked a little bit. And I, I think a, a big part is the Herbert factor. I mean, this is just super unusual for a, a rookie quarterback from Oregon to be starting in the NFL and then B for him to putting up numbers that are well straight up like unparalleled. So I think that plays a huge part into it, but I, I do think we get, we sometimes, and I know when we were looking at the, the, the preseason story on this uh, in the NFL and Oregon players fa- factoring into it, I, I think we maybe did kind of overlook just the, the number of important players there are on that from a defensive perspective playing on different teams. Go back to the 2013 Oregon depth chart. And you have in the cornerback room, you have Terrence Mitchell, you have Dior Mathis, you have Ifo Ekpe Olamu, um, you have Troy Hill. I look at this and think, okay, Ifo is going to be the best guy in the league. Out of, out of that group, you also have a, a Tyree Robinson who may have a chance at getting into the NFL at some point as well. Um, there was certainly a lot of discussion about him. Avery Patterson, Brian Jackson at safety, both guys, you know, Reggie Daniels was there as well, Eric Dargan. Um, yeah, all those guys, Terrence Mitchell and Troy Hill – the best of the bunch. I don't think I don't. If, if you had to look at that group and say rank the players in the 2013 defensive backfield who would have NFL success, I don't know if Troy Hill and Terrence Mitchell are top four. Oh, they're probably top four for me, but they certainly aren't the top. I mean, Ifo was like an undoubted one. It was going to be like that's like you just put that in stone. And I, I mean, I he, I still feel for him because I think we'd be talking about him right now on these shows, and he'd be the second name we mentioned in most weeks because he'd be one of the best corners in the NFL. It's awful what happened with him medically, um, and you feel for that. But certainly, yeah, I mean, you're not wrong in terms of the way we look at at, at those guys and, and think, yeah. 
they weren't expected to do. I wasn't expecting when those guys were wrapping up their careers midway through the 2010s that we'd be talking about them in the early 2020s as starting high-end corners in the NFL. And I don't know where their like PFF ranks are, um, but I'm going to guess they're both like 20 to 30 in terms of the national, in terms of the NFL rank. I, I think these are like some of the better corners in the NFL. And I think it just gets overlooked um, because they, because they're not like household sexy names, I guess. Yeah, it's it's fun to watch. It's entertaining to see play out. Um, it, it's always cool to see guys you cover go on to the next level and have su- some success. Um, that 2013 team was was loaded. I mean, it also had Buckner, had Armstead. Um, both those guys are are stars in the NFL. Yep. Uh, you you have a couple other. Joe Walker is currently playing still. Uh, in the NFL, um, like we mentioned, Terrence Mitchell and Troy Hill are both on NFL rosters on the offensive side of the football. Uh, you know, Marcus Mariota, um, we, we've seen D'Anthony Thomas. He's opted out this year, but he was on a team last year, was probably going to be on one this year. Um, offensive line-wise, Ronis Grosso has been activated this year the last few seasons. Uh, Johnny Munt, Evan Bayless, two guys. Uh, I think are are both oh and Farrell Brown excuse me um, were you know all you know on NFL rosters. You just look at that team and you know, the 2013 team was pretty stacked. Now that I look at it, and there's a reason that that team and that 2011 team has an argument as the better you know the best team from that decade from Oregon, despite being teams that that didn't play for the national championship. Uh, those years they get clustered in there. Those Chip Kelly years. And then, of course, a little bit of the Mark Helfrich era, the first part of it, super, super talented teams. And uh, it's not easy. I know you can look at the results and make arguments in terms of which teams were the best, but it's not easy when you look at the depth chart and you start looking through and who's on which team and who's on which team to actually come to a conclusion of what the best team was. Because, yeah, a team like 2013, probably make an argument. That's like the best defense, certainly before last season, this last decade. I mean, I think the 2019 defense, this is a discussion probably – that we can have at some point here, but that 2019 defense would they have it in the secondary and probably a couple of years from now, we'll know more about what they are in the NFL. Like it's going to be interesting to compare that to 2013, just looking back from a defensive perspective. Cause you're right. There are so many big names on that 2013 team. The just to go down the rabbit hole one more time, <laughs> the 2011 team mm-hmm. had seven guys currently on the NFL on the offensive side of the football alone. Buckner would be eight on defense, Armstead would be nine. Uh, Dion Jordan would be 10. Uh, looking at this group, Kiko Alonzo would be 11. Looking through the list, Terrence Mitchell would be 12. Troy Hill's probably also Troy Hill would be <laughs> would be 13 guys on that team made NFL rosters or are still playing. I mean, there's more guys that, that made a roster that are out of the league now. I mean, Kyle Long was on that team. Uh, Colt Lairla had a stint with the Packers. T.J. Daniel, I think, had a, had a stint in the NFL. Um, yeah, there's there's a long list of guys. Josh Huff was on that team. He played in the NFL. Um, it's fun to do that every once in a while to go back and look at some of the you know past teams, and, it, and it's fun to look at you know like the the 2020 version of the Oregon football team, and you look at this depth chart and you think how many guys are going to be in the NFL rosters. All right, that's going to do it for us. So a ton of good stuff from an NFL perspective this weekend, a ton of good 
discussion from an Oregon football perspective, even though they're not playing, we're going to track a ton more in the coming days, coming weeks, as the NFL plays out, as the college football season plays out, and Oregon gets closer and closer for playing as well. So for Eric Scopel, myself, Matt Preem, you've been listening to the Autzen Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.